0: since we're going to look at this book the entire month, I want you to notice right off the bat how unusual Jonah is for most of the Saying, before I formed you in the womb, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah, the he thinks he's too young to be a spokesman for God. But God tells him, don't worry about it. I'm going to be with you to deliver you. And Jeremiah begins to prophesy for the next almost 50 years of his life. Moses is sort of the same story. You know, God. And I want you to lead my people out of the land of Egypt. Their cries come up. served as a prophet during the reign of of Jeroboam II, which is in the 700s B.C., and Jonah successfully counseled his king against the Syrian threat and prophesied the expansion of Israel under his reign, and we can see all of that in 2 Kings 14. But on this occasion, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and what does he do? He chooses to do the exact opposite of very Jonah is told to rise and go, and instead he rose and slid. He bought a ticket on a ship bound for Tarshish. Nineveh was to the where Jonah wants to go. Now, you and I probably think that's about as stupid a thing as he could have done to disobey God, but the reason we think that way, I believe, is because we're armchair prophets. You know what an armchair quarterback is, don't you? That's the commentators and the people I chairs, we ask, why would Jonah do something like that? I mean, I would have never done something like that. And of course, if we think like that, we're not ready to learn what this book of Jonah has to teach us, because if we are to learn anything, we need to learn most of all, more than anything else during the so that all of those Jewish people gathered there in that place of worship can confess together, we are Jonah. As if to say, we are Jonah and that we too. Disobey God, we are Jonah. Jonah, we begin to be aware of some major differences between ourselves and God. And the first is that God is sovereign and we are not, which means he's in control and he has a plan for you and me and he calls us to his word. And if we are obedient to that call, we are going to be blessed, according to the teaching in Deuteronomy 28, whether it's blessed spiritually or physically. he goes down into the ship. And in verse 5, he goes down into the inner part of the ship. You see, the writer here is 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 wanting you and me to see down, down, down when we disobey God. That's where we're going. We're not going up. We're going down. In other words, it... God is in control. He can bring circumstances into play uh, that that can cause us to obey him whether we might want to or not. He doesn't always do that, but he can in his sovereignty do that sort of thing. It's like we see with Jonah. And it's because he's in control or sovereign that all of his creation is at his disposal. In your first reading, Solomon, creation can obey his command. He can cause storms. As Psalm 89 teaches, he rules the raging of the sea. You may have noticed in the first chapter that the sea ceased its raging when Jonah was thrown into it. He can appoint birds to feed his people and as the raven's servant 17, or he can tell a fish to eat a wayward prophet. Jesus said not even a sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing it. That's how sovereign he is. And in this sovereignty, he can also use unbelievers to bring those of us who are believers to our as he does with Jonah in this first chapter. These pagan sailors are the ones who get Jonah to actually testify of who God is and what he can do. In answer to answer their questions, he says, I Disobeyed this great and mighty God, and they should throw him into the sea. And when they finally do that, the ocean ceases its raging. And what happens? At that moment, they worship God. These unbelieving sailors, they offer a sacrifice, they make vows. These vows are a public expression of. disobedience. God has made him effective in his calling as a prophet, bringing people to faith and the true and living God. And what you and I need to see sovereign and we are not and we need never forget that or live like we have forgotten. It. But another difference we can see here is that God loves all and we do not. In Jonah's estimation, God has asked him to do something that he has no business doing whatsoever, that of giving him an opportunity to repent and thus be saved as far as he was concerned. Assyrians had a well-deserved reputation for their brutality. If you don't understand how brutal they were, turn to the minor prophet known as Nahum. Look at his third chapter, and you can read in there of the corpses just stacked up in that city because of their brutality. They were Israel's chief enemies of the day, his estimation, they didn't deserve mercy. They didn't deserve saving. They deserve God's judgment. night. one scholar put it, they attempt a similar flight into the culture of secularity. They hope that if they're preoccupied with other values and commitments, then they'll forget the Word of God. Unfortunately, this is what people in the church also town, that are no longer here. Where are they? Why have they gone? Surely for some of them, it's the same answer we see at work in Jonah's life. They've just come to a point in time, for whatever reason, that they don't want to be bothered by God and His will for their life. But before we get on, of us who are still in the church. What are we doing? Jesus has given us a commission to go into all the world and make disciples of what? All nations. Is it to make disciples of the people we like? Is it to make disciples of all nations? This busy pastor also made time to visit prisoners of war at the Libby Prison on Belle Isle. He went to minister to soldiers who were called Yankees. Soldiers who perhaps had shot at or killed some of his same flock. But they were still some. really understand that. To him, it was an unbelievable theology that God would want these chief enemies of Israel who had been so brutal in their dealings with them to be saved. But God's love is real, and He's shown that love through the gift of his own Son, whom he sent into this world to die for sinners, to save those of us who That God saves even when we cannot. These sailors are about to die when they throw Jonah into the sea. Jonah becomes, in essence, a sacrifice for their lives and even. These sailors were saved, but also at the same time, he worked it out where Jonah is saved and will have another opportunity to this time make a better decision and obey God's call that he's laid upon his life. We see this saving in the last verse of the chapter the Lord. Obviously, this three days in the depths points us toward Jesus and his time in the grave. In fact, in Matthew 12, Jesus speaks of this as it actually takes place in history, what happened to Jonah. Because the scribes and the Pharisees, as they say so often are, are, pushing Jesus for some kind of sign. And Jesus begins to talk about Jonah with Says an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, for as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man. Christ when we were dead in our sins as Paul teaches in Ephesians 2. And just like somebody thrown into the ocean from a ship, we need rescued. And God has done just that by the power of His Holy Spirit says in his smaller catechism explaining the third article of the Apostles' Creed. He says, I believe that I cannot by my own understanding or effort believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit